0: Welcome.
1: No Earth along with me. Oh, no! Oh, my God, I shot my eye out. These girls are
0: 11. Reading
2: Starfighter. Astila Vista,
1: baby. What is
2: going on? 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike.
1: I am Patrick.
2: I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and we are
0: continuing with Oscars Month, talking about West Side Story, the controversial West Side Story. And at first, I was like, "Why is that controversial?" Then I looked at the names of almost all the actors playing Puerto Rican characters, and I was like, "Oh, right,
3: that that'll do it every time."
0: Yeah, at least
1: in the original. But we'll get to that.
2: Yeah, we will.
1: It was fine. They had brown makeup.
2: Andy Rooney was around. Charlton Heston did it. Why not? They had Charles. Brown
1: makeup. It's fine.
2: And they had. I'm just wondering if it was just a, a quantity thing. You know, how many, how many choices did they have besides like Ricky Ricardo? And he's Cuban, isn't he?
0: Yeah, I mean, I almost think that that was the reason they had to bring Rita Moreno back for the remake is because she was literally the only Puerto Rican person any of the white people knew.
1: Right. Mm. And she was complaining about the fact that they always covered them all in the same, same shade of brown makeup. She's like, I'm already Puerto Rican. Why do you have to color me?
3: Right. Yep. I saw that interview.
1: Yep.
2: Good for her. All right. So, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can give us a ring at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708 You can also join our conversation on Discord by clicking or copying the sh- link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on there. Always lots of conversation, lots of chitter-chatter, all the memes you'd like, views of Patrick's nachos, which are ridiculous. They, they look, look delicious. Fabulous. Did you eat all those? Oh, hell no. I mean, are okay, let me rephrase that. Are you eventually going to eat all those? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So Tomorrow you didn't eat, eat all of them right now. No, I mean, it's half not like of them sh- were
1: got, got finished between the three of us.
2: Uh, okay. between the three, My okay. mom at
1: one point, she's like, I'm getting sick, but I can't stop eating.
3: <laughs> Don't you hate that feeling? Like two weeks ago when we had corned beef and cabbage from this place here it was so good, but I just could not stop eating. And I regretted that decision later. Mm -hmm. sometimes you just man you just got to power through it because it's so fucking good i get it just one more bite just one more little bite and then at some point you're like man there's not enough left to save it
2: might as well just eat it yeah i don't think we have a tupperware that small why should we even bother
0: yep been there and i hate wasting food Yep. yeah
2: but yeah, so uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us also, we have our the voicemail. You can also get in touch with us. on. There's a link in also in the show notes. that will take you to our Google forum where you can either type something out to us or uh, send us a voice message if you like that way also. Um, but in the meantime, since we don't have any messages, we have the question of the week, which ah, is. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I'm not, we didn't have a name on this one, so we couldn't ask if, for clarification. But what is the first thing you do when you get home and the last thing you do before bed? And I think what they meant was it's the first thing you do in the morning. Like when you wake and up. And the right? last thing you do before bed. You
0: yeah. know what? Let's answer all three. Like if you have a routine when you get home from work, let's throw that in there too. Just okay. in case they were really concerned about that. I used
1: My to have for a routine. All three is the same. And I'm pretty sure everybody could guess what that answer is. Eat nachos. <laughs> <laughs> Cry, yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean that goes in conjunction with it. Yeah, no. Yeah, Obviously regret life choices. I mean, the first, thing, literally, like the first thing. I, I'm, I'm not like trying to be all like, oh, I'm ultra cool because I'm really not. I'm a 50 year old who still smokes weed, so it's. i not. I know I'm not that cool.
3: I'm wrong with that? You're just but like Kevin Smith. Like the
1: first thing, first thing I do is wake up, and you know, and the first thing I do before I go to bed. I mean, it's just, it's a constant thing. It's not. It's it, it's like. Since I'm not on any pharmaceuticals, it's a way of uh, monitoring my own health, mental health.
3: Is that the it, same, though, when you get home from work?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I do it at work. I do it, at, you know, when I'm home, when I'm not working. Yeah. So it's like, it's just the first, it's literally the first thing I do. I wake up and I just kind of stand up and walk over to the area and pick up a bowl and light it up and then go in, brush my teeth, wake up. That's me. What about you guys?
2: I don't know, Joel. What about you, man? Uh,
1: Well,
3: first thing I do when I get up in the morning is take a piss.
2: Uh, always I go up. in the bathroom. Yep.
3: <laughs> no, I get up. And then he cleans take
1: off a, Laura. And
2: then <laughs> <laughs> take
3: a piss, brush my teeth. Uh, and then uh, when I get home from work, since I work from home now, um, I typically will start by, you know, Getting dinner ready, getting food ready for the the various animals in the house, uh, and then before bed, same thing, kind of. I'll get food ready. No, I'll take a piss, brush my teeth, and climb into bed. Got to get those peas and 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 teas in teeth.
1: But like before you actually before you do any like bathroom duties, like what is there like a regular thing you do every night before you like retire for the evening?
3: As fu- you mean before I, yeah, I'm
1: just asking. Like, is there, is there like a routine thing that you do, like before you go into your bedroom for, like, is there walk around the house, turn off all the lights, anything like that? Like,
3: I'm heavily regimented, Patrick. Do you really want me to get into that, that much depth?
1: <laughs> I know you're very. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. You. What is, Like, what is your routine? Because you're, you're leaving going? stuff uh, out.
3: Well, we know you. I mean, as as soon as it's like okay, time to to head to bed. I I make sure the dishwasher is filled and started. Uh, I put everything away. Let the dogs out. Make sure they use a the restroom. I'll refill the rabbits' uh food dish because these always need food. You fill the rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will uh put all the blankets. The the dogs, you know, sleep on blankets on the couch. I always fold those up and put them back on the couch, the way that they are normally in the morning. So when they get up the next morning, they're ready for them to lay back on and they're not just strewn everywhere. If there's toys, dog toys over the floor, I'll pick those up and put those away. Uh, and then give the dogs like their,
1: stop playing with the dog toys.
3: <laughs> give the dogs their treats when they come back in, uh, head down to the bedroom, clear off the bed. Cause we have a lot of excess pillows on the bed. Uh, piss, brush my teeth, get into bed. And I usually read a little bit while I'm waiting for Laura to finish getting ready and then go to bed.
0: See, my routine is only a little less uh, regimented than Joel's because I do the same thing pretty much every morning. First thing I do is I take both of the dogs out. They very quickly pee and know immediately to run back in for a treat. Then I'll go to the bathroom myself
2: and get a treat. (laughs)
0: Uh, Then the dogs give you a treat. (laughs) Well, that that, because usually I've left my vape on the counter after bringing the dogs in. So I'll go back out. And uh, fill up their food bowls, grab my vape. And if uh, I didn't get enough sleep, I'll grab a diet soda. Just one extra caffeine because I'm not going to fill my coffee until after breakfast. Then I'll go play Hearthstone until it's time to get in the shower. Um, When uh, I would come home from work in general, uh, the first thing I would do, the dogs would greet me assuming that they're not in the crates. And then I would uh, wash out my travel coffee mug, wash out my thermos, uh, set them in the drying rack and get a small snack. And then uh, bedtime, it's kind of similar to Joel's only not quite so many steps. Cause I'm not quite so interested in cleaning things up, but it'll be like, check the locks on all the doors, mm-hmm. make sure the lights on the outside are out. Uh, brush my teeth, go to the bathroom again, uh, dogs will climb into bed with me because I usually get up before Sarah and go to bed before Sarah. And uh, usually whether she's coming to bed within the next few minutes or not, I'll uh, mess with my phone for like 20, 30 minutes. Usually just like scrolling Facebook or TikTok and then I'll set it down and go to sleep.
3: I, I do also check the, the doors, turn off the lights and set the alarm, but I, I forgot that part.
1: I never do that because I'm always sleeping at different hours of everybody else, so I assume they're taking care of all that crap.
3: You hope so anyway.
1: Whatever. I mean
3: mm. And and my morning routine is just the opposite, doing you know, unloading the dishwasher, feeding the animals, etc.
1: Unfolding the blankets.
3: <laughs> no, the dogs do that for me.
1: Emptying the rabbit.
2: Yep. <laughs> Gotta empty the rabbit. Mike? Uh well now that it's warming up, I'm getting back into my spring summer routine, which was get up, start the coffee, go for take a leak, and then go for a walk. First thing in the morning. So it's still kinda you know, kinda chilly out. I'll go for go for a walk, come home, make myself something to eat, either like make an oatmeal, bowl of oatmeal or Something makes something as ridiculous as like a a hash brown skillet or something like that, depending on how hungry I am. Then I answer emails, you know, got to get on work. I'll usually do that while having a cup of coffee and then get up out of my day. Uh, Coming home, when I used to come home for work instead of just walk upstairs for work, usually I would come home and then just like lay down for 10 minutes because i used to try, you know i would commute in from chicago yep and that you know getting you know you when you leave work you try to get to the train to get to 5 20 but it takes 15 minutes to get to walk down to the train station so you got to leave at five when you start to leave at five then the boss gives you shit because you're leaving on time instead of not sticking around then all that and you get on the train blah 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 and then i get home and i'm like all i need is just 10 minutes of being left alone and just closing my eyes and close my eyes for 10 minutes, then we, you know, have dinner and do something. But evening, it's a like kind of like Pat's grab bag. I mean, I, we were just talking earlier. I tried to make a habit of going to bed earlier. And all that did was make me wake up at four in the morning because screw you, Mike, you know, I'm trying to have a healthy sleep cycle. You know, none of this going to bed at 10 o'clock for you. You're going to go to bed, you know, whenever you pass out. Uh, but I do the walk around, check the doors. Take a leak, go to bed, close my eyes, wonder whether or not I actually check the doors or not, get up and do it again because I'm a complete (laughs) psychopath. (laughs) You know, sometimes, and sometimes it's like that, it's like that Rugrats cartoon. What are you doing up in the middle of the night making pudding? I've lost control of my life. That's, you know, I'm just walking. And there's, and the other thing is like sometimes I'll, on the, what used to be routine when I was a little bit, had a lot on my mind, I would just about every night, Hear something like, hear someone call me right before I fell asleep, you know, in that weird, you're just about to sleep type of thing. Oh, no, sleep paralysis yeah. type stuff. Yeah. not even sleep paralysis. It was like, I'm not totally awake, I'm not totally falling asleep. I'm just in that little bit of a bridge. And then <sighs> I would hear like Katie call me, or I'd hear Suzanne call me, or I would oh, like, I hate somebody, that, you know, and then I'm up, then I'm, you know, I'm up in there, you know, up in Katie's room. Did you call me? She's like, No, go to bed. It's in your, your, you're dreaming again, dad, go to bed. Trust me. If I call you, she's like, at one point, she's like, if I call you in the middle of the night, you're going to know, right. You know, it's going to be a thing. So
1: she's not,
0: you know, I think I talked about this on the health, uh, episode show, but, uh, sometimes that happens to me in that twilight moment, just before you fall asleep, except it's not a person's voice. It's a fucking explosion.
2: Yes. Yes. You talked about that.
3: I know that, 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 uh,
0: It's got a name. It's called exploding head syndrome, which is like the best condition name ever.
2: But kind of sucks if you want to go
0: to sleep. Well, yes, yes, because it's like a cannon has gone off inside your skull.
3: Yeah, And the moment you're like, did I just have a fucking aneurysm? What just happened? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I hate that
1: and head exploding don't know what syndrome. The hell that
3: is. You've never experienced it?
1: No, I mean it's, it, ex- it's not something that everybody has. It's, I mean, it's it's like randomized who has it but yeah yeah it's
0: super rare
1: but yeah the doctor i mean i read a thread on this you know years ago before i even knew you had it you know the doctors just don't know what it is but it's something like like one out of every thousand people or something like that
3: because i have it too i didn't know it was a rare thing i thought everybody was just like one of those weird like right before you fall asleep kind of moments where your body for whatever reason shocks you awake again
2: now there is a thing where you you get a feeling like you're falling when you're there, I forget, I forget what the name of it is, probably some, you know, sleep falling syndrome or something <laughs> like that, but like when you're on that bridge between F- sleeping fallotosis. and falling. Phalatosis. Oh, yes, phalatosis. Hey, and, and you'll get that momentary, momentary feeling where you feel like you just fell out of the bed.
3: Yep, I've had that too. And you flail like you have a yeah. moment where you just kind of like, Wah, like you flail. And,
2: and then your wife looks at you like you're a f- complete friggin' idiot because you're suddenly flailing in the bed. And when you when she goes, what's wrong? You say, I was falling out of an airplane but or were you other
1: side here. One time I was uh, asleep. And the, the, woman, the one <laughs> I one was, was actually the
2: falling out of an airplane
1: the woman that was in the bed with me, had her back. <laughs> Funny to me. joke. And I must have been dreaming about a fight or something. And I just yep. in the middle of the night just punched her right in the back. <laughs> oh, yikes.
3: Oh, ask Laura. That yeah. I've done that a couple times to her too, and she's like, "What the <laughs> hell?" Good I don't know. I was dreaming. Well, she was
1: unfortunately a very tiny woman, and she's you know, barely. She was like, ah, like fell out of the bed, and I just went right back to sleep.
3: <laughs> <laughs> of course.
2: Ah, uh, good. That job. was fun. Yeah. So, in the meantime, is it about that time. Oh, it's it, about that time. Pass right that on. time.
3: This week. In music, movies, and TV.
1: Hands. <laughs> <laughs> All, All it's right, so back.
2: <laughs> it's exploding, Joel. Uh, so we are looking at October eighteenth, nineteen sixty-one, for the release of the first West Side Story. I just
3: met a girl named Maria. All right, so the number one song in the land was "Hit the Road, Jack." By the great Ray Charles. Great song. Yes. Tis a
1: great song indeed. If you don't know that song, go to your local streaming service and listen to it right now.
2: (laughs) They're going to say go to your local bridge and jump off. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, man. That's rough to say that, man.
1: If you don't know this song, then fuck you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Did you just say and
1: fuck you? Then you should be dead. (laughs)
3: I don't know why that struck me as funny, but (laughs) Uh, all right. Speaking of fuck you, uh, Wynton Marcellus, nine time Grammy award winning jazz classical trumpeter and composer, was born in New Orleans on October 18th. His Blood on the Fields was the first jazz composition to win the Pulitzer Prize for music, and he's the only musician to win a Grammy award in both jazz and classical during the same year. He is currently artistic director of jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City. And no, I don't hate Wynton Marsalis. I was making a joke. He's a talented fella.
1: Strange joke.
3: Yeah, I know.
0: I'm not a huge fan of jazz. I mean, I pretty much, it begins and ends with Miles Davis for me.
1: Just play I mean, the right notes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to have a a you know a small window of artists you enjoy, I mean, that's the right one.
1: You could do a lot worse than Wynton Marsalis if you're looking for a representative of jazz. That's for sure.
2: Who's Who's the jazz guy who? He graduated. He, he went all the way through music college and never learned music how to read music. And they told him, "We'll give your give you your um, diploma, but only if you promise never to teach music." I don't know. Oh man, my
1: my instinct wants to say Thelonious Junk or Thelonious no. Monk.
3: Glorious <laughs> Junk
1: Lodeous Junk, Lodeous junk is, is Josh's name in Discord. <laughs> i was yeah.
3: going to say you've gotten Lodeous
2: that name. Monk. Yeah.
1: I'm not I'm not 100% sure that he could read music. I'm...
2: Bill Evans, Charlie Parker, mm-hmm. uh jazz musician who can't read music.
3: Hey, look at that. autofilled Freddie Hubbard uh, uh, Stan Getz.
2: No, uh, it'll it'll come to me. Keep keep going. Keep going. Wow, there's JJ a Johnson. There's, God, there's a list of jazz artists who couldn't read music. I'm sure, yeah, okay, well, if you find it uh <laughs> okay, the top of the list they have say
1: to fl- have to have to follow sheet music to play jazz
2: right yeah they the first two are well honestly, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder, but that's because really? they were blind, oh, keep rolling, wow.
3: And finally, on October 17th, in a chance meeting, former school friends Mick Jagger and Keith Richards meet each other again at the Dartfield Station in Kent on their way to their respective colleges and discover their mutual taste for rock and roll. They exchanged numbers and agreed to form a band together. And if anybody hasn't figured this out and was, you know, somebody that Patrick said, fuck you to uh, that, they later became the Rolling Stones. Neat. And if you don't know the Rolling Stones, fuck you.
2: And jump. And I found, I found out who I thought I was, who I was thinking of. Oh, Dave Brubeck.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I wouldn't have come up with that. Nope.
0: All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was West Side Story.
2: That was anticlimactic. Yeah. Kind of saw that coming, really.
0: Yep. Also released this week, however, were Backstreet, starring Susan Hayward and John Gavin, The Devil at Four O'Clock, starring Spencer Tracy and Frank Sinatra, and Mr. Sardonicus, a horror film produced by William Castle.
3: Hmm. Have
1: you seen Mr. Sardonicus, Joel?
3: I don't believe so. No, I'm just looking it up now. Look because the
1: description and, and read it to the, to the audience and tell me that that does not sound like something you would enjoy.
3: A mysterious and cruel baron whose face has become frozen in a horrifying grin demands that a prominent London physician apply experimental treatments on him to restore his face. Yeah, William Castle was like the P.T. Barnum of the uh, the the film world. Like he's the guy that created uh, the elect- electronic uh, or the electro shock under people's seats when they went to go see the Tingler or had like
1: Is he responsible for that, too.
3: Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I know he oh, had like yeah. skeletons that would fly in from the ceiling and <laughs> yeah, he, uh,
2: yeah, you're talking about where they had the shocker pads in the seats. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, apparently this one had that too. Cause the poster says there's a special punishment pole. Mercy or no mercy for Mr. Sardonicus in the spirit of foul play, you will decide during the punishment poll by voting thumbs up or thumbs down with your ballot card. And he gave everybody a glow in the dark piece of paper that had a thumbs up on it. And you held it up either thumbs up or thumbs down, whichever way you put it up to vote on which last reel you would see.
3: He also was responsible for 13 ghosts and a, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, he was a big showman. And he he was in a lot of his movies too, but uh, yeah, this reminds me a little bit of uh, the the man who laughed, but much much later. uh, Yeah, I'm I'm to
2: check this one out. It um, Mr.
1: Sardonicus
2: reminds me. Didn't they make a movie about this guy,
1: William Castle, or Mr. Sardonicus? William William Castle, because the Mr. Sardonicus movie would be about him,
2: right? Uh, Who who played Walter in um, Don Goodman? Yes, it was John Goodman. Matinee? Yeah. Was that a, about William Kessel? I think it was. Oh, yeah, I,
1: you know what? That probably was, yeah, if, you, if he's the guy, because that was all about a guy who invented, like, you know, all kinds of theater tricks and stuff. I never saw it, but I know what it was about. It might have been based on him. May not have directed I saw it, me. but it's been a long time.
2: How do you spell Matinee? M-A-T-I-N-E M-A-T-I-N-E-E. Oh, here we go. E-E. No, he, played, he played somebody named Lawrence Woosley. I think maybe it was loosely based on... Yeah, kind of like Perhaps. this is this guy that kind of did the same thing. No, okay. I thought it was a biopic.
3: Anyway. Oh, I, I think it's probably, like I said, I'm sure it's uh based on him. Yeah, here it says a character of Lawrence Woos- Woosley is based directly upon the real Hollywood showman William Castle. Okay, cool. So,
2: good uh, good catch. I remember seeing that. It was pretty good. So, Also, TV top shows in the land were Wagon Train, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and, for a twist, Hazel. What was Hazel? Was that another I'm married to a witch type thing?
1: It <laughs> was that show about that woman named Hazel.
2: Okay. No, it was not Witch Hazel.
1: I don't know what it was, to be honest with you, but it
2: doesn't. Oh, seem... yeah, you know what it was. It was. It was. Um, der,
1: the it, animated show.
2: No, it wasn't animated. It had Shirley Booth as the maid. Oh, it's yes. just Hazel.
1: Oh, it's is is that the one that's the spinoff of Bewitched?
2: It no might one. have been.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they had a neighbor neighbor named Hazel. They got a spinoff. Hmm.
2: Yeah, that might have been, but that one, Hazel was the one, it's got, you'd recognize, I think you'd recognize it if you saw it, but. I just looked it up and that's exactly the picture that popped up. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes too, so that way you guys can check it out, because looking at stuff always works out on podcasts. Um, (laughs) Les Stroud, born October 20th, is a survival expert, filmmaker, and musician, best known for his television series, Survivor Man. After a short career behind the scenes in the music industry, Stroud became a full-time wilderness guide and survival instructor. Stroud has produced several survival-themed programming for the Outdoor Life Network, the Discovery Channel, the Science Channel, and YTV. The survival skills imparted from watching Stroud's television programs have been cited by several people as the reason they lived through harrowing wilderness ordeals.
0: Yeah, Survivor, man, like watching a couple episodes just will... Show you how much bullshit Bear Grylls show is.
2: I've seen this one pop up a couple times, but I haven't watched it. I probably need to know.
0: Oh, it's so good.
2: I'll check that out.
1: Yeah, I've never seen it either.
2: Angelion
3: was on Hazel. I like Angelion. Sorry.
1: (laughs) On October 15th, at the LPGA Women's Championship, held at the Stardust Country Club in Las Vegas, Mickey Wright convincingly won her third LPGA title by nine strokes over Louise Suggs. Gladstone Cleophis Small, born October 18th, is an English former cricketer who played in 17 test matches and 53 one-day internationals for the England cricket team. Small was born in Barbados and moved to England shortly after his 14th birthday. Small has klippel Fail Syndrome, which accounts for his distinctive no-neck appearance. Appearance? Appearance? Appearance.
3: Ah, appearance.
1: Colin Gateman commented... Gladstone Small overcame a hunched physique to become a remarkably effective fast-medium bowler and one of the most popular characters on the county circuit. Primarily, he bowled outswing, but his propensity for unreliable bowling gave selectors cause for concern. Small was in the England squad for both the 1987 and 92 Cricket World Cups. Later, he became a director of the acronym of the week, PCA.
0: Well, I mean, I only know that acronym as the uh, Patrick's Curmudgeon Association. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had a feeling. I didn't think about it when I picked that acronym, but as soon as it started, I was like, I got a feeling my name is about to come up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is the Professional Cricketers Association.
3: Was this huh? guy Big Ed's dad
2: or what? This guy's got no neck.
1: I mean, I tried to give you an easy acronym. It was pretty obvious, but still didn't get it. And lastly, born October 22nd, Sanath Mohan Silva Kalupurama is a former Sri Lankan cricketer who played in 4 tests and 2 ODIs from 1984 to 1988. A top-order batsman who could open and a handy off-spin bowler, he was also a skilled slip gully fielder.
2: <laughs> Wait, what? You know, a slip gully fielder. New word, new phrase.
1: Kalu Parama migrated to Melbourne, Australia, in 1989, where he played district cricket and later captain coached Mount Waverley CC, Bayside Club, Cheltenham, and Keysborough CC. It's
2: a lot in of CCs. Cri- in cricket, a slip fielder is placed behind the batsman on the off side of the field. They are placed with the aim of catching an edged ball, which is beyond the wicketkeeper's reach. So a backup so like, for the to catch a, foul,
1: a foul tip ball,
2: yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, have you guys ever seen like what a what a cricket field looks like? Like you'd look at the baseball diamond with all positions. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen what a cricket one looks like? No. no.
1: Yeah, they're all over the field. Yeah.
2: Oh, shit! That shit's crazy.
1: Yeah, like the, the, all the, the batting and the, and everything is like right in the middle of the of the whole pitch. It's yeah. not like the, they're like at one side aiming for the rest. Like you can hit the ball anywhere.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, it's not like we have a diamond where everything goes in one direction. You can literally hit the ball straight over the top of your head if if you're good enough. And go backwards and it's a legal hit.
3: That's confusing to me.
2: There's know it's a there's a lot going on, man. I mean for God's sake, the games take multiple days. Several years to play, yeah. Uh... Is <laughs> still playing in his test All right, is that it? That's it. Play a soft keyboard, Joel. I think I found the thing for the day. Explosions? Joel keeps exploding. Fuck you. So West Side Story nineteen sixty one.
3: What? We're starting, so I was just giving you some background.
0: No, it's all right. Is it, though?
2: Yeah, no, it isn't really. It's, I mean, one would think you would learn how to whistle before you would pull that joke. I mean... Yeah, you're getting better. But, West Side yes. Story, 1961, American musical romantic drama uh, directed by Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. Uh, screenplay written by Ernest Lemon. We're going to get more to that. Later, it's an adaptation of the 1957 Broadway musical, the same title, which was inspired by Romeo and Juliet. It was filmed in Super PandaVision 70, and music was composed by Leonard Bernstein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. So there's some cred right there. Released on October 18th uh, through United Artists, it was a huge... Uh, Hit high praise from critics and viewers, and it was the highest grossing film of 1961, nominated for 11 Academy Awards and won 10, including Best Picture and uh, in addition to a special award for Robbins, becoming the record holder for the most wins for a musical It's regarded as one of the greatest musicals of all time and has been deemed culturally, historically, or aste- aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in 1997. And the second adaptation is coming out in 2021, which we're going to talk about later on. So, as we said, this was directed by Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise. Jerome Robbins was co-director in reality and more the head choreographer, so all the dancing was done by Jerome Robbins, because outside of this, uh, his directing credits really limited to something called Afternoon of a Fawn, which was a TV short. Now, Robert Wise, The Sound of Music, The Haunting, Star Trek, The Motion Picture, The Andromeda Strain, got some hefty caliber stuff under his belt. Indeed. Yes. So, uh, Ernest Lehman, screenplay writer along with Arthur Lawrence who wrote the book uh, this is who fam- did family plot screenplay for that one uh, I don't know if you guys it's a mystery mm-hmm. uh, if you're looking for some really good screw with your head type stuff take a look at who's afraid of Virginia wolf that's kind of a messed up movie the king and I he did etc 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 and black Sunday have you guys ever seen that is that the Mario Bava movie uh, Wait. it's or the one that where no, it might be Black Sabbath. It's Black Sunday is the one where there's a uh terrorist organization that's threatening to blow up the Goodyear blimp above the world, above the um, the Super Bowl. I've uh, heard of that
0: one, I've never seen it. It's pretty good.
3: Frankenheimer, huh?
2: Yeah, oh, Arthur Lawrence uh also did the screenplay for Rope and uh the screenplay for Gypsy, hmm upon the stage play and book by Jerome Robbins. Uh, did the play with that whole thing was based on, he also was responsible for Peter Pan, the TV movie adaptation with uh, Cindy, um, what's her face? Uh, no, Mary Martin. I was going to say Mary Martin. I yeah. thought you were going to say Cindy Williams. I was like, I,
3: from Laverne and Shirley?
2: Yeah, it was her. She had I mean, blue that's, kitty.
0: that is one of the more familiar portrayals of Peter Pan for a lot of people. So, oh Mary yeah, Martin? it's a big. For sure, yeah.
2: I remember I was working at the the um, the video store when that came out on VHS for the first time, and people went out of their minds. Like everybody wanted. We we this is back in like early '90s, late '80s when it came out, probably 1990, 1991, when VHS tapes were running like forty, fifty dollars a pop, and we sold like a case of them. So many people wanted this. Thing so hmm. yeah and then family plot have you, you guys have seen that one right i've heard of it but i've not seen it uh karen black bruce dern barbara harris it's uh or alfred hitchcock uh movie there's a psychic con artist in there and it, you'd enjoy it it's got it's very, a lot really twisty for even for uh alfred hitchcock movie it's good stuff i mean i enjoy hitchcock so no. Uh, This is starring Natalie Wood as Maria, who is also Judy in Rebel Without a Cause, which is a movie I have to see again sometime soon because it's been a while. Uh, Richard Baymeyer played Tony Patrick. I mean, and Joel, he was also Benjamin Horn in Twin Peaks. Put that in there for you. And Josh. And Josh. Russ Tamblyn uh, played Riff. He was in The Haunting. Which we have uh, did a show with, God, about two, three years ago from The Haunting of Hill House. We watched that one. He was also the eponymous Tom Thumb from the movie Tom Thumb and also Dar- Dr. Lawrence Jacoby from Twin Peaks, also. He's also in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yeah, he's I like the Honda stuff.
0: He, yeah. He's yeah. also in, oh,
2: shoot, uh, something else we watched recently. I've forgotten. Move on. Moving on, Rita Marino. Played Anita, was Tupim in The King and I. We'll talk about more or more about her later on. Uh, George Shekras played Bernardo. He was in something called The Young Girls of Roquefort, where he played Itin, And most recently, he was in the late 90s Superboy TV series, where he played Professor Peterson.
3: Hmm. Superboy.
2: Yep. Simon Oakland played Shrenk. Uh Was Dr. Fred Richmond in Psycho and Captain Bennett in Bullet. Uh, Ned Glass played Doc, who was in the movie Charade with uh, Cary Grant. That another uh, Hitchcock. Yep. Another Hitchcock one. And the fortune cookie. He played Doc Schindler. Have any of you guys seen his the list? No. no the, oh, good God, dude. Really? What? The fortune cookie? No. Okay. No. it it A lawyer convinces his brother-in-law to fake an injury for money. But it's starring Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, and Ron Rich. It's actually a really funny movie. It's good stuff. Uh, Tucker Smith plays Ice, and he was Klotsky's clown in the Mel Brooks To Be or Not To Be. And then things take kind of a change for some of the actors. Tony Mordet, who played action in this, went on... And directed. He was a director on episodes of The Greatest American Hero, Quincy M.E., and Hardcastle and McCormick. Nice 80s resume right there. Right? And also with uh, David Winters, who played A-Rab. He most recently, 2013, he was in something called Dragon Wolf, which looks kind of awesomely Terrible? terrible. Oh, You know, it's like an airwolf, but with a dragon. Yeah, that's no, no, that's not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. No, so it's but it's one of those movies when you scroll down and the main character doesn't have a photo for his IMDb. It's one of those things. Uh, But he's also been doing (laughs) some production work. So he produced Space Mutiny from 1988, starring Reb Brown, John Philip Law and James James Ryan. I actually know that one. Um, I'm looking at the trailer for this right now, and they 100% rip off the opening scene from Battlestar Galactica in it. It's, it looks... It completely just god-awful.
1: Uh, so, I, I had such...
2: Such high hopes for a that's, thing that's called that's Space He Yeah, such
1: high expectations.
2: And the last one, he did Raw Justice. He was a producer on that, which starred... <laughs> David Keith, Robert Hayes, Stacey Keach, and Pamela Anderson. And justice. If, if that's not a recipe for just wonderfulness, I don't even know what is.
3: Well, because you know, when you make an action movie, you want it's Robert like Hayes to be your Atlanta. lead.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of a, kind of a strange uh, strange mix of people there. But also, Elliot Field went on. He was played Baby John in this, and he was also in That's Dancing as West Side Story Dancer.
3: They have a bunch of people that stand around they're like, that's dancing. Oh, that's dancing.
2: Yeah, he oh, um, oh, oh,
3: oh, that's dancing.
2: All all of his stuff, the only things that he's Done he only has six credits no seven Credits to his name West Side Story The Ann Southern show and then all the rest Of them are things about dancing Where he plays himself Hmm yeah And then Burt Michaels who plays Snowboy Goes on To uh, play Pete From Saturday Night Fever And 2021 West Side Story Gimbal Security Guard Oh Okay yeah, there's more than just a one in that. So some trivia on this one. Riff and Tony repeat an oath of loyalty to each other. Uh, Riff says womb to tomb, and Tony answers birth to earth. On stage, Tony's original answer was sperm to worm. But some reason, they changed it. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of moments in that movie where I'm like, they changed that. They didn't say that. Yeah, the censor se- censors of the time are like, can't say that word. So they were like sperm to earth. No, that's not it. Okay. What worm? Uh, throughout the movie, Natalie Wood wears a, bl- a brain. <laughs> can't say worm. <laughs> He's shitting bricks. Can't say that. He's shitting rocks. Uh, Throughout the movie, Natalie Wood wears a bracelet on her left wrist, not for any aesthetic reason, but because she had injured her wrist in the scene of The Green Promise in 1949 when she fell on the bridge that collapsed during the severe rainstorm, causing an unsightly bone protrusion on her wrist. She wore the bracelet to hide the injury, and it eventually became the trademark of all of her movies. Until she died untimely. Yeah. They took the bracelet off and they're like, oh, her wrist. So uh, even though dubbing Natalie Wood was Marnie Nixon's chief assignment, Nixon also did one number for Rita Marino, which required a relatively high vocal register. Having dubbed Wood as well as Marino, Nixon felt that she deserved a cut of the movie album royalties, but neither the movie nor the record producers would bow to her demands. Leonard Bernstein broke the stalemate by volunteering a percentage of his income, a jester of loyalty royalty since Nixon had been a performer colleague of his New York Philharmonic concerts. He ceded one quarter of 1% of his royalties to her, which is honestly a generous amount according to numbers. Good for him, man. You would think one quarter of 1% to be like, yeah, whatever. But I mean, the biggest movie of 19 of that, of that year, you know, it's like how many albums? I mean, I know my mom has a record album of West side story in the house.
3: It's, you know, it's one of those musicals that just keeps going, obviously, and leaves an impression and a lot of people just adore it, i.e. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a classy move.
0: This was a big musical for me as a kid. And I I think I've uh, told the audience and you guys that I'm a musicals guy. But I I also, when uh, Joel says this movie goes on, it, it goes on and on
2: yeah it's what three and it's two and a half hours
3: two and a half hours. yeah, but I feel like that's kind of necessary because it's kind of an epic story uh re- reality it's not. I mean, it all takes place in like a two days or whatever, and it's a pretty simple story, but it's kind of epic in in themes and the scope of it feel really large, uh even when it's a very simple story.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is one of the classic retellings of Romeo
2: and Juliet, Mm -hmm. for sure. I'm waiting for them to do the Troilus and Cressida musical. I think that'd be fun. One of the songs could be, Hey, What's in That Pie? (laughs) I did forget
0: how many of the uh, songs... Like, you remember the Jets song, which is super cringy, and uh, I Feel Pretty, which uh, actually... Uh, Steven Sondheim uh, regretted ever writing it. Uh, it is his least favorite composition of his entire career. And uh, he was pushed into writing. I feel pretty. And he hated the song. Oh, that's got to suck though. The, and I'll come back to that for the now. Uh, Cause uh, that, that's going to sur- That idea is going to surface again. Um, but there are some like tonight, tonight, huge, huge song. Like, a, a few songs in this that I forgot were even from West Side Story. And I watched, aside from Annie, this was probably within the first three musicals I ever watched in my life. And I'm into musicals. So.
3: See, and I'm the opposite. I'm kind of, I, I don't, I don't hate musicals, but I don't, I don't seek them out. But growing up, my mom made a point of us always going, like, I saw uh, Yule Brenner in The King and I. I saw uh, Carol Channing in uh, My Fair Lady. Um, or no, hello, Dolly. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we would go out to to see shows a lot, and so I'd seen this at least once on stage. Uh and it, it was interesting revisiting it because uh, I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Um, and I got to say, "One hand, one heart" is is a pretty pretty beautiful song,
2: to be honest. I saw this on stage because my brother was in it.
3: What? Yeah. Who did he play?
2: He played action, and he also sang the part of. Uh, he, sang, uh, Kru- he sang Officer Krupski. He sang Officer Krupke. Krupio. Yeah. But have I seriously not told this story?
0: I don't think so. Oh my so. god!
2: <laughs> okay, so we go to see. He's at. He he is at the military school, and they're putting on uh, West Side Story, and he comes out playing action. And you know my brother. He's a slender white kind of bobbleheady looking kid at that point. <laughs> and they're doing the opening scene, and you know how they do the fake fight, and they bow, bow, and everybody throws the punches, and everybody's doing all that, except the guy who was throwing the punch at Matthew, his blocking was off. Oh. By about a step. <laughs> <laughs> and when they did the one scene where the guy takes a full swing at Matthew, and suddenly you hear this. <laughs> Matthew's head swings around. He staggers, and you see a drip of blood come down from the side of his face. The guy punched him square in the eye. To wow. his credit, Matthew finished the scene with a bloody eye, dazed out of his head. I think he even had a concussion. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, me in the audience was pointing, what's that? You know that meme from Survivor where all the women are like, oh, my God, and the one guy smiles? I no, know, but I'll pretend you guys pretend, you know, that meme. The yeah, one. yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that thing. So that's me. And because I was like, oh, my God, um, he wound up with seven stitches in his eye. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, he and he took a slap and he took a good punch to the head. I mean, the guy was probably double his size, if I remember correctly. But um, he apparently like went in the back after he finished the scene. He stepped back, looked at one of the girls and was like, does my eye look all right? And she like started to gag. <laughs> she was like, Woof! you know, that's sort of thing going on. So they, the other, the other fun part of it was, is that the, the mom and dad, the guy who threw the punch were sitting directly in front of us. And I was like me, Susie and my mom and dad. And the second that punch hit, his mom turns around and goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> was it Harvey Firestein?
2: Yeah. Harvey Firestein was his mom. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, I took Matthew to the emergency room. He got seven stitches in his eye, uh, and suddenly his character changed from a skinny, skinny little Matthew to I think like a six foot one Italian dude. Like just changed. That's what happens so, when you get punched? Yeah, that that uh, understudy jumped in. But um, yeah, that's my fondest memory of uh, West Side Story. <laughs>
1: Is your brother getting punched in the face.
2: He really got tagged, too. I mean, it was it was a full on like audible smack. There was one night when we
0: did Three Penny Opera where uh, two of us were almost very seriously injured. Really? Uh, The guy who played Jonathan Jeremiah Peachum. I can't remember his name. He was actually a suite mates with me and Pat. I think he was the uh, R.A. of my first dorm floor. Uh, he was supposed to wake me up as a beggar by picking up a stool and slamming it down onto the stage next to my head. Uh, one night, it came down on my head. Ow. Ooh. Yeah, knocked me silly. And that was the same night that McKeith, who's supposed to threaten, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but Ducky was playing him. One of McKeith's uh, guys is supposed to threaten him with a jackknife and like get it near his throat. He got a little too close and sliced Ducky's cheek open. What? <laughs> Holy yep. crap. Yeah, we were both okay, but yeah, two injuries the same night. That's crazy. Well, Ducky probably missed his mark.
2: Probably. <laughs> he deserved Damn. it. It I was gonna say it is well, tradition. We all wanted to cut
0: him. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. But all in all, I just want to say I am I am so proud of that kid for finishing the scene. Yeah. I mean he was singing.
3: That's the that's show must go on, man. Um, did I, I had to look up who the composer was on this because as I was listening to it, I'm like, it It vaguely has similarities to Sweeney Todd. And Stephen Sondheim wrote uh, the music for that but and the lyrics, but this was Leonard Bernstein who wrote the music. So I don't know if it one influenced the other, but it had kind of a reminiscent feel to that. Uh, but I... I I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. And I actually watched it a second time just so I could take some notes and kind of refresh my memory on it. And it's kind of impressive that a movie that is was this beloved and that people, you know, rewatch has such an incredibly down ending. But just look at Romeo and Juliet. Look how famous that is and how much that's studied and, Mm -hmm. you know, researched and gone over and copied and redone so
0: it's wild because i had the opposite experience i I loved this film as a kid and i had a bad feeling about it when i saw how long it was and i felt every minute of it and I, i was surprised because i i honestly i made the joke at the top of the show but like i had forgotten that you've got with one breath the lyrics uh acknowledging in the 1950s that things weren't great for Puerto Ricans in America, that life is better if you're white in America. And then on the other hand, casting almost every single Puerto Rican character as a white person in brown face. Oh yeah. Wow.
3: (laughs) There is certainly problems in terms of (laughs) the portrayals and the, you know, the casting and, and absolutely.
1: And like we mentioned the, earlier, even taking your only Puerto Rican and, and still putting her in brown face. right?
3: But yeah,
1: she had Rita Moreno had to wear the makeup too.
3: Yep, there is there is definitely some problems in that regard for sure. I, but you're going to run into that anytime. I mean, even through a lot of modern filmmaking, you're going to run into that same issue, uh, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, the like the, the, the brown face, you know, racism from another time, whatever, was not my issue with this movie. My issue with this movie. This is the first time I ever seen it, by the way. How? Oh. Yeah, and I just I found it just boring. I mean, I just I just I ne- it never once encapsulated me in any way.
2: Encapsulate, but I'm with Pat on this one. I've seen this a couple times.
1: Captured, I guess would be a better word.
2: And I. I think I just don't like musicals.
1: I like musicals. I just didn't like this one. It never rang true to me.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. So we're all over time. the board then. Hmm? I was just going to say, we're all over the board. You like musicals, but didn't like this one. Mike doesn't like musicals at all. I liked this movie, but didn't like it uh, when I saw it recently. And Joel just saw it recently and liked it. And I'm not Joel's a musical guy. It.
1: Yeah. So we're all okay. over. But yeah, this is just not one of my types of musicals. I am I mean, I'm not big <laughs> on um, really, really cheesy, schmaltzy musicals, which means that there's not a whole lot of musicals that I actually do like. Because yeah, a I'm going to say, what, what really
2: musical cheesy isn't yeah. cheesy, schmaltzy?
1: Um, I mean, the Nightman Cometh. is the first one that popped in my head. I don't to
2: know. you, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, Jesus. right there.
1: Yeah, but I mean, one of my favorite, you know, my, my favorite movie of all time, a musical, Wizard of Oz. I mean, it, you know, I, I definitely like musicals. It's just, it's got, it's got to be. I don't, I don't know how to. I don't. I'd have to. You're think. very I don't niche really know as far as
3: hmm? what you like. You're very specific in terms of what what musicals you like, and it may not be a specific reason. It might just be. But I
1: mean, I, th- I think the or... biggest problem I have with this movie is like just visually you know it 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 looks nice and everything and the characters are nice and the and the choreography and the you know the the um the costumes are good but i never ever ever once bought that any one of these guys was a tough guy just and that's that's part of the part of the crux of 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 it being a musical is like they're gonna be you know lean must you you know like dancers you know dancers and it's just that's just part of the thing but it's just and so I think therefore you know trying to cast them as tough Puerto Rican gang whatever and just just gang members in general I'm just like it just it just never rang true to me and it just bugged the crap out of me you know you never
2: saw any dancing Puerto Rican gang fights when you were living in Chicago
1: right yeah yeah, I I mean I believe me I've seen gang fights they didn't look anything like any of (laughs) those
2: I mean I'm sure there's some jumping around and stuff but
1: I mean I also don't like the video for bad you know so come on yeah
2: you've uh, never seen fluffy fingers (laughs)
3: You know you have, Patrick. I
0: also feel like this felt like it was trying to be the stage play or like it didn't. Like well, it I wanted think, to thread the needle between being a movie and the play as a movie.
2: I think that's where you're right, because even, even the, in the time this was done, we were still learning about cinematography. We were still learning about that. I think you were. this was trying to emulate the theater experience for everybody versus being its own individual kind of media sh- telling the same story.
1: Right. Yeah, because back could, then com- it, was, it was more like, hey, let's bring this theater production to the movies rather than let's make a movie out of this theater production.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing is that's not just a sign of the times, though, because if you compare it to, say, Guys and Dolls, Guys and Dolls was definitely, like, it was a st- uh, the play. It was a musical, but, like, it didn't feel like it was trying to ape the theater
2: experience
1: to me. But, but like in this, at the same time period, you got the odd couple, which did feel like it was trying to.
2: But the odd couple isn't a musical.
1: Yeah, okay. If we're gonna go music, yeah, all right.
2: Yeah, and I think and that, and that is kind of weird because I agree with you on Guys and Dolls because and now I'm okay. I'm kind of taken aback yeah. because I had forgotten about Guys and Dolls. I enjoy Guys and Dolls.
1: Yeah, I, I like.
2: Maybe guys I too. enjoy a little bit more lighthearted. Maybe maybe a musical tragedy isn't exactly up my line. Of <laughs>
3: <laughs> and don't watch <laughs> no. Dancer in the Dark.
2: Okay, I'll put that How on do my. How do you feel line. about uh, Moulin Rouge? That's a musical tragedy,
3: mm. indeed, and a mighty good one.
0: I was gonna say it's I, one of the DVDs we have two copies of in our house because I have
2: this. it on DVD. I bought it, I enjoyed it, but I think it's because
1: it also skews for you and McGregor.
2: It, and it's a little yeah. bit more absurdist versus straightforward uh tragedy.
1: I still haven't seen Moulin Rouge, so I can't comment. Oh, uh, uh, it should have should have taken one of ours while you were here.
0: Yeah, you I'm don't need to.
1: Not a big Bos Lerman fan.
3: He's not a fan of yours either. He told me. He wrote me a letter. (laughs) He's like, "Fuck you." (laughs) I I felt like this movie. I mean, I kind of get some of the the argument.
2: Step off the sidewalk and you see the truck coming.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The the argument that maybe they were going a little for the you know the stage effect, but I don't I don't get that as much. I feel like they were trying to capture kind of that feeling of of you know new york at the time and it's it's big and it's sumptuous and it's colorful and it's and it's you know, large and full of high kicks and and i as much as i love russ tamblin he's kind of the the ted ramey of of the time uh <laughs> yeah he's not a tough he plays a good kind of little brother kind of annoying guy that you know uh the 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 guy that wants to be the love entrance, but is a love interest what connection
2: of, of, of all up? people. You connect him to Ted Raimi. That's <laughs> that's kind of how I see him. Uh, I mean, and, I'm saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, oh,
3: and his daughter is great too. Amber is a, is a fine actress as well, but uh, I've, I just found it to be quite the spectacle and any movie that has John Aston, come on. Gotta love John Aston. I do. And he was, he was fine in his little bit part.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, I don't know. I, I, I think part of this suffered from, I, I suspected that this was not going to age well for me as something that was like a classic uh, movie. My mother loved had see. she was all into musicals. I like Annie was one of the first films I saw in the theater and it like affected my taste in cinema forever. But I, I feared that going back and watching this again, it would not hit the same. And for me, it really didn't.
2: See, I, th- I you just may have maybe have a flashback on Annie. I think this may be why musicals aren't on the top of my list because Annie came out. My we borrowed the v, and the neighbors had a bootleg VHS of it. We watched it. My sister loved it, and he had like recording gear. So he's like, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll record all the music for Annie for you and then gave it to my sister with all of that and you could stab me in the face. I cannot stand the music from Annie now because that got played 24-7 until the tape mysteriously burst into flames.
1: The sun will come out.
3: Instead of kisses, you got kicks, Mike? Yes. Oh, that's too bad. You know, that happens. I mean, you knew this movie was going to have problems even before you saw it. I mean, I mean, you look back at other films of the time like Touch of Evil, you know, again, Charlton Heston playing a Mexican or, uh, you know, Christopher Lee playing Fu Manchu. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's really unfortunate, but it's part of film history and you can't erase it.
1: The most unfortunate part is it's boring.
3: But, yeah, there's it's, it's, it sucks because there are some things like this that I feel like are, are, are worthwhile and enjoyable and, uh, you know, pieces of kind of history. But sometimes it, it's a bit hard for sure to watch, uh, especially based, you know, with the world today, what it is um, and being more inclusive and, and trying to make sure that everybody's got representation. Yeah, it feels it feels
2: a little uh, it's unfor- It's bad. <laughs> you know, in that regard. Again, again go- like I said, going to the... how many actors and actresses that they have to pull from that were in the stable of actors and actresses that they had back then. You know, if I say name me, out- outside of anybody that's in this movie, name me two more Puerto Rican actors or actresses from the 60s.
3: Well, the thing is, is, they were there. They just weren't thought of as being star material because they you know they wouldn't put asses in seats
2: Mm -hmm. and that wasn't that was i mean that was the mindset i mean it was again 1960s was like we're saying even then it was still kind of experimental i mean people didn't they didn't have indie theater really they didn't have groundbreaking i mean the machine was in full motion by that point and they had their uh their process of making a movie you get people that names that people know you go in there you make the money you go and make another movie from that you know it's just uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying that's unfortunately the what the the way the mindset was back there. hmm. Oh,
0: and I think the biggest thing is the disconnect where there are lines about how tough it is for non-white people in America, and then like doing that same sort of thing to your
2: actors. Yeah, and I'm sure the entire the irony of the whole situation was lost on them. Right.
3: Exactly. Well, because you know. it was the studios were all run by old white guys.
1: And the irony of them dancing around and snapping their fingers, talking about how tough they are, as soon as they yell "cut," they look at each other like, "Uh huh."
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, got any other fond West Side Story memories? Hey, uh, uh, eventually it was over. <laughs> You know, I think that may, that is kind of an issue with music, musicals is they do have to be longer because you figure each song is going to be... I thought you were going to say that they ended, but... Well, yeah, this movie has not ended. Um, they all have to be... I think sometimes they have to be longer because each song is, what, maybe two and a half, three minutes long?
3: At least three minutes, typically.
2: Yeah. You have, you know... That's have... a pretty good point. I mean,
0: I am a big fan of Hamilton and it's almost three hours.
2: Yeah, Yeah. You figure they have five songs that between three and four minutes long, you've got between 15 and 20 extra minutes on that movie, just because everybody's singing. So there
1: you go. Need to do a little more expository lyrics in their songs.
3: Just need to be less musical and more just like,
1: you know,
2: talking. Call them talkicals.
1: Let's go to the parade. Yeah, I think we're done. It's a talking musical.
2: Fuck you! <laughs> All right, I think we're we're gonna go to the break, and we come back. We're gonna talk about West Side Story 2021. Fuck you! <laughs> you know, ah, man. there you go. Good job. Thank you. All right, West Side Story
1: 2021,
2: Part Two. The gritty reboot, West Side Storyer,
3: West Side,
2: yay! American musical romantic drama, co-produced and directed and co-produced by some guy named Steven Spielberg, up and comer. Right, it is a feature length adaptation of the the fifty seven stage musical, um, <clears throat> Marino, who we had talked about earlier. Uh, who starred in 61 also served as executive producer alongside Tony Kushner, who wrote the spring play. And again, Leonard Bernstein, Steven Sondheim, a gentleman by the name of Justin Peck did choreographing on this one. Uh, you see the pic- picture of the guy. He's does not look, he, he looks like he should be selling you insurance. Um, <laughs> maybe he does. You never know. Had its world premiere at Jazz at Lincoln Center's Rose Theater on November 29th twenty twenty one, three days after Stephen Sondheim died. Oh man! Well, I mean, I don't know if he saw it or not, but I, you know, he, they finished it. That's got to be something. Uh, rec- received uni- almost universal critical acclaim for direction, cinematography, some of the, some critics deeming it superior to the 1961 film. It was named one of the top 10 films by the National Board of Review, American Film Institute, but despite its critical reception, it was a gross box office bomb, grossing $74.5 million against $100 million production budget. And among its multiple awards and nominations, it's got seven nominations at the Academy Awards which we will find out later as we are in the Academy Awards month, including best picture. It also got four nominations at the Golden Globes winning three, including best motion picture musical or comedy best actress in a motion picture comedy musical for Ziegler and best supporting actress motion picture for Debose. Again, directed by this guy named Steven Spielberg who did a couple big movies back then.
3: Uh, 1941
2: 1941 there you go that's it that's the one i thought of uh tony kushner did the screenplay he also wrote lincoln and munich oh so So,
3: uplifting films
2: yeah yeah he's he's all of all the stuff that he writes just makes you want (laughs) to get out and tackle the world the cast ansel elgort played tony who was also in The Fault of Our Stars as Gus, Baby from Baby Driver, and Caleb from Divergent.
0: Now, if you guys haven't seen Baby Driver, you really need to. It's on my list.
2: I know so I good. would enjoy it. So, uh, Rachel Zegler plays Mar- Maria. She's currently slated to be the new Snow White in 2023 and plays actress in Shazam Fury of the Gods for 2022. Hmm. I don't know what that means. <clears throat> Unless it's, yeah, right. She doesn't, she has no credit on the uh, IMDb page. Weird. Yeah. Uh, Ariana DeBose, DeBose or DeBoys? DeBose. DeBose. DeBose, yeah. There. Yeah, it'd be an I there if there was. Plays Anita. She's going to be Calypso in the new Craven the Hunter movie and Neat. was in a TV show called
3: Shh. Schmigadoon,
2: Shmig- where she played Emma Tate. Have you heard of this show? Not at all. Uh
3: it's it's about um two people who get stuck in a real life musical.
2: A it's couple a, on a backpacking trip discover a magical town which everyone acts like they're in a musical. Yep. Oh wow, Starting. this has got quite the cast. Yep. Holy cow.
3: It's from the people that I know that have seen it, they've raved about it. It's on my list, but I've not seen any of it yet.
0: It's Apple TV. That's why
2: I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Martin Short, Alan Cumming.
3: Keegan-Michael Key.
2: God. It's a great list. All right. David Alvarez plays Bernardo, who is also in The Stamp Collector. He played Rhodes from 2021. And not that child's play, Joel. Uh, He played Nicholas 2013. That, I think, is a coming-of-age tale about getting bullied. Huh. So. Also have Rita Marino, who played Valentina in the movie The Prank. She played Mrs. Wheeler in 2022. She was also the voice of Cookie Booker from Carmen Sandiego. And more and more and more stuff. I just did, because we just did a Carmen Sandiego show. We just did it four years literally ago. like i was gonna say like multiple years ago <laughs> uh rita marino is one of the very few performers to win an oscar and emmy a tony and a grammy thus becoming an egot so hmm. long yeah, and storied career
0: and this character valentina is basically a different she's the equivalent of doc from the original she's doc's um
1: widow widow yeah right but like personally i thought she was the best character in the whole thing i would agree Mm -hmm. we'll get to that sorry
2: so no it's all right uh brian darcy james plays officer krupke and he played shrek in shrek the musical He played uh spotlight uh the movie spotlight he played matt carroll and the tv show hawkeye he played derek bishop Corey Stoll plays Lieutenant Shrink. He's uh, Darren Cross, Yellow Jacket from Ant-Man in 2015. Agent Mac from the movie Push. And something called Twilight of the Gods that's currently filming where he plays, Josh, am I calling you a rankful? Raff, Raff. Uh, yeah,
0: you got me, man. Well,
2: Raffling it, Raffling. Looks, it looks, I don't know, I don't know who's, what this is about because it's, it's really it's pronounced a,
1: Charles oh.
2: <laughs> Raymond luxury yacht that's what <laughs> um but this cast you got Corey Stoll as Hrankful or however you say it but you also have Peter Stormare as Ulfer John Noble as Odin
3: okay with, so it's know, German
2: that's a joke <sighs> Stuart Martin as Leaf Pilo Asbeck as Thor so this this looks like uh, pretty dang good.
0: Yeah. Corey Stoll is another actor like Mahershala Ali, where I first encountered him in early seasons of House of
2: Cards. Yeah. That was the other thing I put in there that I mean, right. I, that I skipped over that. But Twilight of the Gods caught my eye for. Reasons. I just
3: saw him in the mini Saints in Newark. No, oh.
0: he's a good actor. <sighs> he, he was another like highlight, even though he doesn't play a likable character. Uh, his performance was a real, uh, real strong one.
2: Yeah, he he's always I always enjoy him whenever he's on this on stage on the the screen. He, him and Mark Strong should do a movie together. Anyway, mm. sorry, go ahead. Mike Faist plays Riff. He also played Arthur in the Atlantic City story and Lawrence Fowler in Wildling. Josh Andreas Rivera plays Chino. Something called Cat Person that's currently in post production, along with some a TV movie called Vegas High. That he's going to be in. Iris Meneas is anybody's who <laughs>
3: wrote taco. You know what that the thing mean. is,
2: I knew somebody was gonna do it.
3: That's I knew awesome. somebody
2: was gonna do it. Uh <laughs> she way down, she plays Alex and Ridley Jones. She plays Fred. This oh, was an,
0: uh, this was another interesting casting thing because any anybody's in the original was a tomboy who who wanted to be in the gang but uh, the, pretty much anybody's in this is is explicitly trans.
3: Yep. And I feel like they were b- walking that line in the original but didn't really walk that line per se.
0: Because 1961.
2: Correct. Yeah. All right, some trivia. The songs One Hand, One Heart, and A Boy Like That, I Have a Love were performed live on set by Ansel Elgort and Rachel Ziegler on the former, and Arena Du Bois and Ziegler on the latter. Sections of Maria were also sung live on set by Elgort as per his request. All of the songs were filmed to the more traditional playback technique. Uh, Rita Marino actually sang somewhere live on set.
3: Nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I saw that in an interview,
3: and I, yeah.
2: So, considering the relatively large 60 year time span between the original and this production, three actors who appeared in the 61 release reprised different roles in this production, including Rito Marino, Har- Harvey Evans, and David Bean. Evan and Bean were both members of the Jets in the re- original, respectively playing Mouthpiece and Tiger. Uh, Evan passed away two weeks after this film's release. Damn. The so, second casualty. Yeah, knocking people out all over. But he was. This- They were both the, uh, both the cameos of the last two guys were gimbal security guards. Nice. This movie has a death curse. Yes. Old people died while making this movie. Uh, Steven Spielberg offered Rita Marino a chance to be in the new West side story thinking it was a cameo. She declined until she learned that she'd be playing a supporting role that of Valentina, a newly imagined character, the widow of the drugstore owner doc in the original version. And I saw this in an interview when I was flipping through stuff And you got to be pretty ballsy to tell Steven Spielberg, yeah, I don't do cameos. Right. I love that. Which is what her response was. Thanks, but nah.
0: Well, and I think her executive producer role had a real big impact because Spielberg also went to Puerto Rico and asked, uh, like, what changes would you want to see if we're going to do this again? Because it's a controversial piece, especially for Puerto Rican people. And uh, he took a lot of their suggestions to heart. Um, This also recently went through a stage revival about 10 years ago. And in the stage revival, they cut the song, uh, I Feel Pretty. Uh, There's well known that it's considered a corny ass song. And uh, that Sondheim didn't like it. And it was cut. But, uh, and Spielberg was ready to do that again for the movie. This is, uh, what I was talking about, how I'd come back to this point. Spielberg was talked into including it after all by Tony Kushner. And the whole idea was you have to have this light saccharin song right before Maria finds out the horror she's about to be dropped into in the third act, uh, for maximum contrast. And Spielberg was like, you know, you're right. The song's back in.
2: They also changed the order of the songs I think. Yeah, they've oh. made it closer to the musical.
3: Mhm.
0: Yeah, because I think in the 61 they actually had the uh, fight that ends in death after I feel pretty.
3: Yeah, they they changed up the order for the the 61 version but changed it back essentially for this. And I I appreciated and uh the fact that he uh included a lot more Uh, Spanish in the film but chose not to have subtitles. Yep, I I thought that was because when I saw it originally when we first were talking about doing this show, you know, at the time, uh, allegedly in the version I was allegedly watching, I was like, oh, they they just didn't have subtitles. I'm like, okay, well, well, wait until the movie comes out. And then when I saw it on HBO and I was like, oh, that was a choice. I'm like, I can appreciate that. And for a guy who doesn't speak Spanish, I was somewhat lost.
0: So I was dragging my feet on watching this. I I joked as much back in December uh, when we were originally talking about doing this. And I got to say. Ten minutes in, I was like, oh, no, I think I like this. (laughs) Because the choices they made with uh, the casting, they cast guys that actually look like they could, in theory, have been in a gang in the 50s. And just the set they built for a New York that's in decay with the wrecking balls knocking down the slums. uh, Just visually and the way they put this together, I was like, wow, this is immediately... I mean, of course, it's beautiful Spielberg shooting it. But like I was I had to go through the original, like pausing it, walking away, coming back, pausing it, walking away. I sat through the almost three hours of this and didn't move from my chair. Spoiler for the thumbs up, thumbs down. I was <laughs> shocked at how much I
3: like this. You know, what's funny about that is that it, in a lot of ways. Having watched these both now twice recently, it's it's not quite shot for shot, but it's pretty close. But the what a difference it makes, like you said, with casting and changing the set design to match what's going on in the story uh, to be more realistic, because especially uh, Riff, for example, you know, he he legitimately looks like the character he's portraying. Like you believe that that's, that could be him.
0: And they don't back off on the shittiness of uh, both uh, the white gang, the way they treat and talk about the Puerto Ricans and the way the cops have their back. Like the racism angle is not overplayed, but it is also like, we're not going to whitewash this. It's it's here. It's part of the story.
3: Yep. Yep. They also did something else that the original did not, and they included a black character, although he's minor. Uh, they they did uh, include that as well. I'm not sure what the logic was, but, you know, it was something else that that uh, got brought up.
1: That literally was the whole point of it,
3: which right, is
0: well, wanted to make it look like New York in the 50s. Right.
3: Uh one of the changes that was made that I felt was was a huge difference and what made this hit a lot harder was the scene in the shop with Rita Marino you know and the the, the guys um, attacking Anita. That whole sequence up to the end of the film when they're carrying uh, Tony off, just hit so much harder than than the original film. Like, very powerful
1: it's clearly just a much more well done movie not not simply because you know it's done now with modern sensibilities but just because it's it's done now with you know just what sixty more years of movie making expertise
2: sixty more years of and, knowing that we don't have to make it look just like the stage
1: right. Yeah.
0: In the hands of someone who is skilled and with a big budget.
1: I mean, this is a big improvement over a movie where honestly, it it was just a bunch of uh, gay white guys in brown makeup dancing around, trying to look tough. I mean, this is even though I didn't necessarily like the two leads as, as actors, as performers, this was a much better version. I mean, it, like you said, it, it it evoked actual emotion versus the other one, which just emoted, you know evoked me wanting it to end.
3: <laughs> well, you almost feel like uh, you could tell that Spielberg, this was his love letter to this film, to the city, to the time. But also, I feel like he's probably seen this movie or this show so many times. And he somewhere in the back of his mind was like, this has problems that I'd like to fix or things that I feel like should be updated or changed or expanded on and he's the guy that could do that you know not everybody could pull that off uh but i think the reason this tanked probably though is because of the times we're in partially um you know people just weren't going to the theaters when this came out originally not 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 like they are now it seems like
1: and honestly there's there's a lot of just bad um press, I guess for lack of a better word, about gang violence right now. And like you no know, my even if you're trying to dress it up and make it a musical, it's still it's still a touchy subject. Maybe some people just don't want to watch a musical about gang violence. And cops. Yeah. Maybe. And political and you know racial unrest. I don't know. I mean it could just be the wrong time. Yeah sure. I mean
0: I think it's going to hit like some people are going to feel it's too woke and some people are going to feel that it's not sensitive enough to uh, the Puerto Rican side of the story. Even as far as Spielberg tried to go, he's still a rich white guy trying to tell the story. So I, I do feel that there are definitely going to be a section of people that say, "Okay, they've tried too hard, including a trans character, making all these updates. It's not like the original, so they'll never see it. And another side saying, hey, this was maybe not Spielberg's story to tell at the two extreme ends of the scale. And like when you lose the two extremes, especially considering that's the way our society tends to go, you you end up cutting out a lot of your audience.
3: And I mean, how many musicals kind of get to the theater and just blow up? Um and you know, obviously some are more successful than others. Like dear Evan Hansen, which was a huge musical hit the theaters and every, it just tanked. Like it was bad right. from what and I, not
0: heard. everything can be Chicago.
3: <laughs> um So, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe history will look back on this, you know, 10 years from now and see it differently. And obviously the, the Academy and the golden globes and a lot of people do see what, you know, what, what, it was or what he was trying to make it into.
1: Um, I think this is one of those movies that's probably going to get a little more popular as time goes on.
3: It's definitely a spectacle. Uh, I felt like their versions of uh, in America and um, officer Krupke were kind of the standouts. I still one hand, one heart is still my, probably my favorite song, but those two, their their takes on it in this film, changing the location and just kind of the, the giant scope of it all, uh, was extremely well done.
1: And fleshing out the characters was a better choice too. For sure. Giving them, you know, a little more than just this is a boy, this is a girl, they like each other. <laughs> okay, well that's enough to die for.
2: <laughs> These guys are gonna fight now. They sang together. They must be in love. Ah,
0: I mean, yeah, we want to make fun of it. But like you look at Romeo and Juliet and it's it's at least that uh, surface level and kind of corny. Like they they meet for a couple moments and they're dumb kids that fall in infatuation with each other. So I guess it's at least true to the original ad- thing. It's adapting. Hell, but that's they just probably it. had more time together than Romeo and Juliet
3: did. In this, you know, the 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 question always is, though, especially as you get further on, it's like, was it just infatuation? Was it love at first sight? You know, was there really these deep feelings? Was it more just kind of the fact that you're, you know, part of it being the fact that it's kind of forbidden? You know, there's a lot of questions that are never going to be answered because obviously he's gone and uh, it was and infatuation.
1: No one knows what love is at thirteen or fourteen. 14 years old. You just don't.
3: They're not 14.
1: In Romeo and Juliet, they are.
3: Oh, I'm talking about this.
0: Well, and this, like, it has some other differences, like Juliet there. Maria, the Juliet in this story doesn't die. Yep. And, like, when we got to the end of that, uh, Sarah looked at me and she's like, she didn't die, and somehow that's
3: worse. She's got to live with the knowledge of what happened and probably feel a whole lot of guilt uh, and anger, you know? I also thought it was a real interesting decision
0: to make Chino kind of a soft intellectual guy until the ending. Yeah, the nerdy Chino? Yeah, like that's that's not a typical portrayal of the character.
3: But definitely gave him more of an arc, though, once that anger kind of took over and he decided that you know, the the best way to solve this was to get revenge. Uh, emotions ruled out, you know, won the day.
0: Yeah, because he wasn't even really a shark. Nope. He he was the guy who was going to college, was going to make good. Uh, he was awkward and dorky at the dance. And he ends up being the murderer who's carted off by the police at the end.
1: It's. Yeah, I wonder if he got sent to Chino. Oh, wow! So, Chino? Chino, Chinoception. How did no, they this just gave him a pair of Chinos?
2: You? How'd this compare for you, Mike? Because we haven't heard a whole lot out of you. You know, I again, it, it's I think I'm correct in what I had said before that I, I'm iffy on musicals to begin with. But if I'm watching a musical, I don't want it to be, like I said, a musical tragedy. I appreciate the cinematography of this. It was a very well shot. I mean, again, Spielberg. I mean, he's instead of it looking like, you know, uh, plywood buildings on a set, you know, again, going for the we're going to be we're going to people give people the feeling that they're in the theater which is why i think that that the the 60s version was shot like that because you know high class people go to the theater all everyday people go to the movies so you make movies feel like the theater people want to go see it and feel high class we don't have that anymore what they do have is giving you more depth more i think uh, the city itself told a lot of the story without it even being you know there was no Singing buildings or anything like that, but you you understood what was going on here, even looking in the background and seeing how things were changing, and seeing how you know we have these half uh, hollowed out buildings, you know that the the gangs are running through, and just you know seeing that there is this change going on that's outside of their outside of their world and outside of their grasp, and I appreciated the storytelling a little bit more in depth and talking about how all of them. Our feeling about what's happening to their city or to their, to their neighborhood. I just, I couldn't get, I, I got through it and was glad it was over. I just not dig in the musical tragedy thing. Um, I didn't like it. <laughs> it. wasn't, I think musical, I think fun, I think lighthearted, I think. And, and I think the other side of it is also for me, Movie watching for me is not I don't, I'm very rarely going to go into a movie saying, oh, I've found this movie. It's a great uh, character study of this, that and the other. I'm going into a movie that I'm going to disconnect from reality as much as possible. That's why I watch a movie. I live in real life. You know, I don't want to. That's I think, which is the same reason why I don't like The Office. You know it, it's I don't want to watch I don't want to watch a TV show about a bunch of people that are aggravate me at the place I work and get aggravated about it again. That's not my thing, but I just I liked looking at it, but watching it was difficult if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. yeah, I get
1: it.
2: So what do you think? You got anything else you want to say about this? But I don't think I do.
0: No, I, I think we pretty much covered all the bases. Are we ready for thumbs up, thumbs down?
2: I think we are. Patrick, what? Thumbs up, thumbs down.
1: Uh, thumbs down on the original, and thumbs up on the new one.
0: Uh, unsurprisingly, I'm right there with him. Thumbs down on the original, thumbs up on the new one.
3: Ah. Uh, I- if it wasn't obvious, a thumbs up for
2: both for me. Uh, thumbs down, thumbs down.
0: All right. Oh. So if you have your thoughts about West Side Story, or maybe you just want to let us know what your favorite musical is, let us know. Give us a call at 708 rap That's 708-669-9727.
2: Yep. And if you're looking for our back catalog of shows, you can find them on your favorite podcast apps, such as Podbean or Pandora. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear about us. You can leave us a review on Apple, Google or Amazon podcasts or give us some support uh, for that keeping things running on the coffee link that's in the show notes. Uh, Joel, what do we have coming up for the remainder of Oscars month?
3: We've got uh, 101 Damnations versus Corella. Yes, I know it's Dalmatians. I just always say it that way. It's just you're so with the stupid jokes. you know. know. It's just my thing. Um, and we're going to be talking about the Oscars themselves. So the actual big night um, and a lot more is on the horizon.
2: All right. So, uh, yeah, looking for that. More Oscars coming up. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Fuck you.
3: I stopped eating crayons last year, so I'm a big boy now.